0: If you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a sermon series where we are looking at life lessons from the book of Daniel. We are looking at the role our courage has in our ability to follow Jesus. Courage helps us to face our fears and overcome our worries. Courage helps us to live into the way of God's kingdom and become who God is has created us to be. However, while we may all have courage, we also live in a culture that tempts us and wants us to be successful by cultural standards. And if we're really honest with ourselves, many of us are constantly tempted to compromise or even cave in to the values of our world. For example, in our American life, we prize those who have gone for the gold, who have made it in the sports world, the political, the financial, and the entertainment world. Culturally, we live by the gold standard, the glitter of wealth and golden statues. We even watch award shows where the golden globes and the Oscars and golden trophies are handed out. Often Olympic athletes find themselves downcast, if you can believe it, after only winning the silver or the bronze and not the coveted gold medal and their picture on the Wheaties box. The question for all of us today is this, at what cost do we go for the gold? At what cost do we try to succeed? And do we value the success of our culture over the ways of God's kingdom. But before I jump into this, let us join once again in prayer. Dearest Father God, open our hearts, our minds, and our souls to what you need us to learn from you today. Be with us now in this story of Daniel so that we can be transformed and become more like Jesus. Amen. You know, in our competitive corporate world, we read about executives, both men and women who are going for the gold. They are putting in the 80-hour work weeks as they strive for that salary, that title, that position, often at the expense of their families, their friends, their relationships, and most importantly, who they are as followers of Jesus as they bow down to the idols of greed and status. In our family lives, we experience the pressure to get our kids in the right schools, live in the right neighborhood, buy the right house. We try to balance our professional and family lives all the while keeping up with the Joneses as we bow down to the idols of materialism and competition. Our own children from grade school through high school and even beyond struggle with being popular, being successful, being accepted. Often our children put up with being bullied just to have friends. They end up losing their sense of self-worth as they bow down to the idols of pleasing others and not staying true to who Jesus created them to be. This idea of being successful and being accepted recently culminated in our latest headlines involving the rich and the famous. Hollywood elites and corporate executive parents were recently caught up in a cheating scandal. The parents, you see, had paid large sums of money to have the test scores, the grades, and their resumes of their children altered to get them into the best colleges and universities. This has involved hundreds and hundreds of parents who their children would have been successful on their own merit. But this was not enough for these parents. The success of being part of the academic elite schools was so important that they had to lie and cheat and bow down to elitism and achievement at any cost. We've also read headlines involving the U.S. gymnastics team who helped hide a culture of sexual abuse that has hurt hundreds and hundreds of young women and young girls. This was done in order to win gold medals for the U.S. Olympic team. The cost to these young women's lives has been horrendous and amazing and hurtful and ongoing. Not only were their cries for help ignored by their coaches, they were ignored by their parents' As well. All this to feed into a system to support winning competitions and medals at any cost. Once again, the cost of bowing down to the idols of success by worldly standards won out over the ways of God's kingdom, which includes loving and protecting and caring for our children. So today we're going to take a closer look at what it means to live our lives according to the ways of God's kingdom and not according to the success of our world. So just to recap where we've been in our sermon series so far, in chapter one of the book of Daniel, we learned that it pointed to a long Hebrew history where the people of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah were being judged by God. They're being judged by God because they were not following God's ways and they were not keeping their covenant with God. And as a result, God sends his people into exile, into Assyria and Babylonia. In the midst of what is known as the Babylonian captivity, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are invited into the Babylonian indoctrination program, led by, of course, King Nebuchadnezzar. The three Jews were recorded recruited to live and lean into the Babylonian lifestyle, the pluralistic elite culture of the time. They were educated in the Babylonian language and literature, and they were expected to serve the king. Yet in spite of this special training and dietary regime, Daniel and his team managed to retain their identity and their integrity as people of God even in the middle of great pressure to do otherwise in chapter 2 in the book of daniel we find king nebuchadnezzar reaches out to astrologers because he's had a recurring dream actually a nightmare that's keeping him up at night and so he summons daniel and through the wisdom of god daniel is able to interpret this dream which culminated in the king appointing Daniel as the ruler over the entire province of Babylon and the leader of all of the wise men. So once again, through his reliance on the power of God, Daniel was able to navigate the difficult waters of the pagan culture and remain faithful to glorifying God. Which brings us to chapter 3, where we find King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six six cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to create a golden monstrosity made of the highest value. This was in response to Daniel's interpretation of the king's dream back in chapter two. In the dream, the king saw a statue with a head made of gold Chest and arms made of silver, bronze belly and thighs, legs of iron, and feet of clay. The dream, as interpreted by Daniel, simply meant that no kingdom made by man would last forever. In time, Babylon would be conquered and demolished and replaced by the kingdom that would last forever, the kingdom of God. So of course, Nebuchadnezzar in his ways has to refute this truth by building this golden monstrosity as a reminder of his legacy and his leadership and his kingdom and the world according to him would last forever and ever and ever. As if to remove any doubt of what the gold was to symbolize, the king then summoned the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. This was a gathering of the highest officials of government. The representatives of Babylonian power and prestige to celebrate this cult of gold. This would be similar to one of our presidential inaugurations with millions of people, the press, dignitaries, and of course, special music. The people in the nations were then commanded, as soon as you hear the sound of all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so with great pomp and circumstance, commensurate with the military, everyone must bow down and worship this golden statue. Everyone must bow down to what represents the power of King Nebuchadnezzar. Everyone must bow down to the legacy and the leadership of this king. It was also proclaimed that whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a fiery furnace. Just like that, thrown into a furnace. The people were commanded to show submission. They were commanded to worship. They were to bow down to a golden statue whenever the music played. And if they do not, they would be punished by being burned alive. So just pause and think about that for a moment. If you walked in here and we had a golden statue and we demanded you bow down to this monstrosity, and then we had a fiery furnace waiting for you. The astrologers immediately noticed that the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did not bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And so, of course, the tattletale astrologers notify the king Of course, King Nebuchadnezzar is furious with rage and he summons the three men to come before him and he tells them once again, you must bow down to this golden statue and if you do not, you will be burned alive. And I love this part. And what was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's calm response to the all-powerful king? They said this, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is truly an amazing statement. Their response is a statement of faith made without hesitation. They're proclaiming the existence of God who can deliver them. They're proclaiming that their God, their God has greater authority than this king. They're speaking truth to power. This is what that looks like. Speaking truth to power when you could die rather than follow what the king wants you to do. Speaking the truth that the Jews have their God and it is not this king. It is certainly not some golden statue that they have to bow down to. But there is more. These three Jews are saying even if their God does not save them, even if their God will not deliver them, they are not going to give in and bow down to this king. This is a statement of radical faith. This is a statement of faith in the face of death. To these three men, no matter what happens to them, if they live or die, their God reigns. Their God is powerful. Their zeal for God is more precious than life itself. Even if their God does not save them, they will not sell their souls to what is not truly God. Through God's power, they were able to stand up to Nebuchadnezzar. They are able to remain true to their identity as people of God and they are able to do this in spite of living in a world that is immersed in pagan idolatry and worship. I think most of us would like to believe that we would respond in the same way if we were in the same situation. But how we respond depends on what we believe about God and how we live out that faith. While we may not face a fiery furnace, the reality is we all face all kinds of temptations and situations in our life that challenge our faith and our belief in God. For example, what do you do about peer pressure? What happens when your friends wanna go to a movie that glorifies God's immorality, the immorality of humankind that glorifies sex and violence and denigrates God? Do you go? Do you participate or do you speak up? Or what happens if your children are hanging out and they find out their friends are doing drugs and alcohol? Do they speak up at the risk of losing their friends? Or do they tell them about their love of Jesus? and how they want to retain their covenant, their belief in Jesus and live out God's kingdom way. There's also a school pressure. What happens if we find our children involved in a cheating scheme? Do we help them speak up? You know, they find out that all of the other kids are passing advanced algebra. Do they speak up and notify authorities, or do they stay silent to keep their friends What happens if we find ourselves in a class and the discussion goes to, wow, there must not be a God because there's so much evil in the world. What do we say, what do we do? There's also work pressure. Maybe you're a sales manager for a giant territory with many products and your boss makes a a new brochure on all of the products that you have to sell and you're reading through it saying, wow, this is a bunch of lies about these products, these products do not do what this brochure says they're going to do. Do you go out and sell to make your quota so you can get promoted saying, well, I'll speak up when I'm VP? Or do you speak up now? All of these are real situations and there are thousands more like them. You will constantly be put to the test as to whether you will be true to God and the ways of his kingdom. Your ability to speak up depends on your relationship with God, your faith, and your love and commitment to Jesus Christ. The calm yet defiant response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego absolutely infuriates the king. He's so angry that he makes the furnace seven times hotter than it was, and then he commands three of the soldiers, the strongest ones, to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Imagine how they're feeling right now. They're tied up. They are tossed into the furnace, and there's so much heat that the soldiers fall into the furnace after them. I don't know about you, but thinking about burning up in a fiery furnace, if we're totally honest with ourselves, many of us would want to run the other way instead of being burned up in the name of Jesus Or we would give in to the king of our culture, King Nebuchadnezzar, whoever that might be in our lives. But wouldn't it be great if our God would rescue us each time we stood up in his name? Wouldn't it be great if we really had faith that no harm would come to us? Or if we really believed in Jesus, all of our problems would be solved? But we worship a God who was crucified for us. We worship a God who suffered for us. We worship Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night he was betrayed, said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And Jesus reminds all of us in his famous Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus is not saying if you'll be persecuted, but when you are persecuted in his name. The Disciples are probably wondering, what is he talking about? What exactly is going on here? But one generation later, the readers of Matthew's gospel knew By the time Matthew wrote down all of what Jesus said, verbal, physical, and emotional abuse of Christians was rampant. Many connected with this brand new Christian movement had suffered physical harm and the dangers were mounting. John the Baptist was beheaded. Jesus was gruesomely crucified. The disciple Stephen, whose face shone like an angel, was the first to lose his life for Christ. He was stoned, he was stoned to death by an out-of-control angry mob who, who included a man named Saul, who later became, of course, the Apostle Paul. And King Herod had James, the brother of John, killed by the sword. Paul and his friend Silas made it to Philippi and preached and they were thrown in jail for disturbing the city. They were incarcerated in pitch black darkness, beaten with rods and shackled in stocks. Instead of weeping and screaming for help, do you know what they were doing? They were singing hymns. They were singing hymns as they're shackled. They were rejoicing, God, they were worshiping. Did they know Jesus had said, Rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted? Paul eventually makes it to Rome, where he is executed around 63 AD, as was Peter, which echoed the words of Jesus when he said, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Over time, the Christians increasingly felt the harsh hand of Roman oppression The Emperor Nero looking for scapegoats, tarred and feathered Christians as torches. Just think about that, to to light his garden. The intensity of the persecution grew after after Matthew was written. Their radical faith or ethical determination, their refusal to buckle under the powers that be put them at odds with the political, religious and business leaders, even family, and friends. And so hundreds of thousands men, women, and children were murdered. Christians were forced to fight gladiators and were thrown to wild beasts. Ironically, persecution fueled the rapid growth of the early church. And so when Jesus says to you, rejoice and be glad you are stepping into a royal, magnificent tradition, When you stand up for God and suffer for Jesus, you join hands with all the apostles, with Mary, with Jesus, with all of the saints who have gone before. And what Jesus invites us to live into is a life of hope. We become people of hope for the world because hope dawns when we have discovered the one true way of life. Hope dawns when we join Jesus with his kingdom work. By the time Martin Luther King marched on Selma in 1965 in our own country, thousands of people died fighting for civil rights. King spoke of the higher value of the truth, and he said this, I can't promise you that it won't get you beaten. I can't promise you that it won't get your home bombed. I can't promise that you won't get scarred up a bit, but we must stand up for what is right. If you haven't discovered something worth dying for, you haven't discovered anything worth living for. Friends, this is why the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is so amazing. These friends were willing to stand up for God without knowing the payoff, without knowing they would survive, without knowing the outcome, without knowing what God was going to do. They were saying that even though their God will not save us right now, we still will not bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. At the end of our story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been thrown into the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar jumps up and says, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Not only were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not engulfed in flames and killed, but there was indeed a fourth man with them in the fiery furnace. And that fourth man was indeed Jesus, was indeed God, in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What God is saying to us is this, no matter what circumstance you are in, If you stand up for what you believe, if you remain true to your faith in God, God is with you in your fiery furnace. When we stand up for God, God is with us no matter what we are going through, what hardship, what loss, what grieving or sorrow. God tells us this through the prophet Isaiah. Do not fear, says God, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. So friends, in closing, how can we remain faithful to God? How can we remain faithful and live according to the ways of God's kingdom and not the success of our culture. By simply putting God first and not letting our father down. It's all too easy to put God in the back seat, to ignore God during the week and then come back to church. Instead, let's all be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Put God first, even if there is a fiery furnace waiting for you, whatever that might look like in your life. By putting God first, you are saying, that your soul, who God created you to be, matters. You are a child of God. You are a daughter or son of the king of the universe. When you follow Jesus, when you do not give in to the success of our culture, you are caring for the most sacred thing about you, your soul and who God has created you to be in this world. By putting God first, you are strengthening the power of your witness we need to put God first, tell his story. When we do this, our witness to the world about Jesus becomes more and more and more powerful. Tell the story of Jesus, be true to God, be a powerful witness. And by putting God first, you are focusing not only on God's good work here in his kingdom on earth, but in heaven. And when we focus on heaven, we become people of hope, And we can give away our golden statues, we can give away our fool's gold, and we can live into the hope of heaven, the love and grace and mercy, the comfort and beauty that God has for us for an eternity. And lastly, by putting God first, you are living into the truth that God is with us. He is with you in your hardships, in your sorrow, in your brokenness, and the good times. God is with you regardless of what happens in your life. As we are reminded, God says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let us pray. Dearest Father God, help us to live into what we have learned today. Help us to put you first and live into the ways of your kingdom and not the success of our culture. Help us, Father, be our one true vision in our lives. And all God's children said, Amen.